RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everyone. I am Jeff Crushell. We're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, if you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, you want to reach out, share some information, or if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, get to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. And on all of the social media, search out Crush Performance and you will find us there. All right, listen. As we all make the transition into spring sport, way up north, we're going from the indoors of winter to the outdoors of spring and summer, and down south, we're, you know, getting into our spring competitive seasons. It's a very, very important time of the year, and it's a time of the year where injuries explode. Sport injuries, I'm talking about at every level, from grassroots to the weekend warriors, certainly for our college and professional athletes, you know, our pro guys in the NBA and the NHL, they're getting late into the season. How do you handle that? And then for sports like baseball, um, you know, getting into their competitive season, you know, there's a high risk of injury. And listen, the injury rates in professional baseball right now are at a historical high. We're going to get into that another day, but it's very, very concerning. But preventative medicine is the key today. A very, very important crush roundtable. We're going to take a deep dive into the locker room approach to sport medicine. It's the same system that all pro and high end organizations use to assess, manage, and treat injuries inside their organizations. And it's now becoming available to athletes everywhere at all levels of sport and competition, even our weekend warriors. And I'm really excited about that. It's an interdisciplinary approach, bringing together experts to really optimize the treatment and the management of injuries. And it's about time. It's such an effective, effective system. And we're going to break it down today with the experts from HealthPoint, Pain, Spine, and Sport Medicine Centers, and Advantage Sport Medicine and Physiotherapy. We are joined today by Tahisha Nadu, physiotherapist at Advantage Sport Medicine and the head therapist for the Saskatchewan Rush of the National Lacrosse League. We're also joined by my good friend, Mike Cook, the lead strength and conditioning coach at Advantage Sport Medicine. And he's also the head of strength and conditioning for the Canadian men's national volleyball team. Also, Dr. Duran Nadeau, who's the head team physician for the Edmonton Oilers, the Edmonton Football Club, and he's also a founding member at Health Point Medical Centers. And my good friend and colleague, T.D. Forrest, the head athletic therapist for the NHL's Edmonton Oilers. All right, so welcome, everybody. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Dr. Nadeau, let's start with you. We had a great conversation last time you were on the show. Uh, we sort of introduced the concept of that, you know, um, multidisciplinary integrated locker room approach and why it's so great to be able to present that to the general public for all the weekend warriors, youth athletes. It's such a great, great concept. And maybe we'll just sort of revisit that, that right now, as we sort of kick off this conversation, as we head into spring sport here. Well, I think, you know, the way I explain it to patients and, and athletes is, you know, very similar when you're on a team, uh, you know, you can't uh, win by yourself. You have a coach, you have, you know, maybe a strength coach, you have a trainer, you have a, you know, a hockey player has a winger and the D and the goalie. And the same thing applies, I think, to, you know, the care of yourself. And, and uh, you know, like I say, I, I can help people get better, but I need a team around me to help that person get better. So, you know, that's where kind of the, the locker room concept comes from. And, and it really, you know, applies to how we treat people in professional and collegiate and well-organized sports. 
So, so you know, I think it's uh, an important concept for for people to have their medical team um, and uh, to use that medical team to their advantage to get better and healthy, so they don't have uh, future injuries. Yeah, and that's a great way to describe it. You know, on the call today, everybody here is involved in professional sport or has been or Olympic level sports. So we've all got these beautiful, integrated, you know, multidisciplinary performance teams around us. Uh, but for the moms and dads out there and the weekend warriors and uh, even some of the organizations, I think it's really exciting for everybody to know that that, that kind of an approach is now available uh, to, to everybody out there. Well, no, I think so. And I think, you know... The, the thing that's, I think, um, hard for people to understand a little bit is, is um, you know, what role do people play? So I think it's important to have your healthcare professionals be able to explain that to you. And I think that's what we have tried to do, you know, in the clinic setting at Advantage and, and HealthPoint is when you come here, we, we understand as healthcare practitioners who falls into what category and when you should see certain people. And sometimes you see them all at once and sometimes, you know, you only will see the doc one time, but you might see one of the therapists 30 times. Uh, you might see the strength coach more than you see anyone. And I think, you know, that's where um, if we're all working together as a medical team, we can help navigate that for people. Yeah, it's an interesting approach. And for people who aren't familiar with it, it might seem a little bit overwhelming. But Dr. Nadu, you bring up a really interesting point, you know, understanding the role of the different team members. So maybe we'll go through this, guys. Maybe we'll just have you go through and just talk about what what your role is in in the team approach. So Tahisha, if we talk about the physiotherapists and, and what their role is now, I've you know, I've been lucky enough to be around some just world class physiotherapists and sometimes they're the first point of contact who brings together the entire team. So it's a real interesting role. If you, if you were to explain the physiotherapy to, to uh, our listeners out there, how would you define it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you obviously haven't uh, seen world-class physios. If you haven't seen me, I'm totally kidding. Uh, <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, uh, I think my role in the clinic, I would agree with you that a lot of the times people who have suffered from injuries in the past kind of learn that if you end up going to your family doctor or medi center, they end up being uh, referred for physio anyway. So a lot of my patients will just kind of come to us as our first point of contact. Um, I would say within the grand scheme of our team, I, I probably um, am the main communicator within the team. So, for example, a patient comes in, I assess them, I get them started on some rehab, whether it's some manual therapy, dry needling, give them an exercise program to start off on. If I feel it's something that warrants um, more than just physio, so looking at potential images, um, then, of course, I'm going to refer them over to the doc. So I'd, of course, explain that to the patient. And once I refer them over to the docs, the the, the nice thing is, is that um, because we have such a formal and informal system, uh, we kind of communicate that just within the clinic. So we have our formal charting system where we have all of that information in there. But it is quite nice to be able to go over, chat with the doc. Uh, they can give me some insight as to what their thoughts are and where they want to go with it. Um, and we can talk about bringing in other disciplines such as AT, strength and conditioning, if there's any role for um, any other medical um, interventions as well. Yeah, no, it's a very important role. We're talking a crush roundtable today with the experts, panel of experts from HealthPoint uh, Medical Clinics and Advantage Sport Medicine. 
Uh, TD, you have a long and storied history in professional sport uh, that goes way back to your days with the Edmonton Football Club and now as the head athletic trainer for the Edmonton Oilers. You know, I think some people might be a little confused between the difference or in the difference between uh, the physiotherapist and an athletic therapist. Uh, but there is quite a difference, especially when you're you're on the field in action there. You have a great team there with the Edmonton Oilers and physiotherapists are part of that team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, uh, Crush. Like, I think um, the one thing that we're lucky with in our team, which is similar to, to how Tish is talking about uh, over at Advantage, is that um, we have a number of different professionals that we, we work with. But as an athletic therapist and athletic trainer, um, you know, I think uh, the, the main roles that, uh, that we tend to have, and I, I think um, you know, the majority of uh, the athletic trainers that work with, with pro sports is that we're, we, we are sort of the first point of contact for our athletes, uh, um, whether that's uh, whether we're talking about prevention, things like warm up and taping, those type of things, but also for emergency care. Um, that's something that we're there, the first person that's out on the field or on the court or, or on the ice surface, if something happens to an athlete and they can't get off on their own, we're the ones that, that you know, jump out there and, and are able to uh, assess them and see if it's safe to get up or, or if we need some more advanced uh, help to, to, to get them where they need to be. Um, you know, the other things that I, I, I sort of say is that we, we often will, will be sort of first point of contact of, of doing a, an injury assessment. Uh, with our athletes um, and then that's you know once we sort of have an idea of what's going on then we connect with the docs and then we either chat with the docs on the phone or we uh, uh, with technology now we can we can do some uh, FaceTime Zooms all, all those type of things or we get our athletes over to see our docs to get a to get an actual diagnosis so we know what we're dealing with and then um, we, we do a bit of the rehab um, we're lucky here uh, you know with with the uh, with the Oilers that we have um, physical therapists, um, and we have uh, chiropractors, and we have uh, strength coaches, and, and other athletic therapists, massage therapists that we all have uh, the ability to connect with. And uh, um, you know, typically, you know, in my position as the head therapist, I, I do a majority of the coordinating and the communication, uh, coordinating with the athlete and the doc, uh, communication with the coach, uh, with the uh, with the with the player, with the general manager with the doc, with the other therapists, uh, the other healthcare professionals. And then, uh, you know, what we tend to do is that, um, we have two other therapists, one's an athletic therapist, one's a physical therapist, and then a chiropractor that, that if someone's out long-term, uh, I tend to, uh, turn the athletes over to those, those, uh, those individuals and they, they take them and, and, and they run with them uh, based on the physician guidelines. And then, uh, you know, the guys I tend to take care of are the ones that are still sort of hurt, but they're able to continue to play and practice. Uh, and those are the ones that I, I, I tend to deal with uh, more directly. And then all of us, um, we all sort of get together and, and we have a group discussion on, on how to get those, uh, the athletes back into their, into their sport, whether that's first at, at practice and you know, then eventually games. So um, yeah, it's a, you know, there there's definitely some differences um but there is a lot of overlap and and that's the nice thing is that um when you get together with all these people you can kind of uh, you're able to you know show what you're able to do but you're able to steal all the good things that they're able to do and you start learning from them and it just makes the continuing uh of care uh as good as it can be yeah you know on my first visit over to health point and advantage sport medicine one of the things that really 
really impressed me was that collaboration and the sharing of ideas between all these disciplines. And TD, it really reminded me of those pro locker rooms, whether it was with the Blue Jays or our time together with the Eskimos or even, you know, working in pro hockey. Uh, it was really, really great to see that, that again, this is now available to the general public in the Weekend Warrior. And it's something that I don't don't think has, has really happened up to this point, but really important to have all those experts collaborating and sharing ideas. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, with this day and age, um, you know, people, athletes, parents, uh, they're looking for those, the, you know, those type of things that are, that are allowed to get their, whether it's their athlete or their daughter or their son to a place that has not just one profession and can only do one thing, but someplace that has a variety of uh, professionals and that they're looking at all different angles. And, and probably most importantly is that they're collaborating, that they're talking about the, the case and the person. Uh, and they're, they're not just looking at one area, but they're talking about everything that, that they can you know do to help that person and not only get back to where they were, but, but uh, the goal would be to get them even better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the exciting part of it. And one of the reasons that I love sports so much. And one of the reasons I love conversations like this, it's just incredible. Um, Michael Cook, listen, uh, a very, very important part of any performance team is the strength and conditioning side, the preparation side, or also the role in the return to play. The, the role of the strength coach has really, really changed over the last few years. You have, again, a long, long history in, in this area with the Edmonton Eskimos. You took out, you took over right after me, as a matter of fact, which was really, really fun. And uh, you've spent a good long time at the University of Alberta. And again, your work with the men's national volleyball team as well. Um, all those different areas require different approaches. And that's one of the other things that I really love about sport is the diversity, uh, not just from position to position in one sport, but also the different needs of different sports. Yeah, the, I would actually argue that I have the coolest job out of everyone in this call. Um, Excellent. You know, I get to do I get to do all the exciting stuff, um, which is, you know, ultimately, you know, in collaboration with the coach, uh, we're trying to identify some kind of key key performance indicators for that athlete, uh, for that sport, for that position, and then ultimately deciding on a kind of a short to long term plan of developing the important physical qualities for that, for that given athlete in that given sport. Um, and then really it's developing measurement tools and monitoring tools to know if the athlete is actually adapting in a, in a direction that you're looking for uh, towards kind of a peaking phase in, in the calendar year. Uh, and then coaching of the skills, the technical skills in the weight room or on the field, uh, on the running track, um, we're very uh, sport general in nature, uh, but we will, um, you know, try to round out the athlete in terms of athleticism by trying to develop multiple physical capacities and skills. Um, and, and what's interesting, Jeff, is uh, my role at Advantage is very different to my role with uh, the men's uh, national volleyball team. Uh, my role at Advantage is I'm working with an athlete who is returning back to uh, the, the sport environment. And I'm coming into the phase where they, you know, they could have had a surgery. Uh, they've been working with the physical therapist, the athletic therapist. Uh, we've got some recommendations from the, from the docs. Um, and I'm trying to figure out creative ways of trying to get them back to not just a, a previous level of performance, but looking for, for avenues or opportunities to, uh, enhance uh, previous levels of performance. Um, and I always look at it as, you know, when I'm working with a, 
with the person coming back from a long-term injury is, you know, this is actually sometimes a blessing in disguise because we can now work on things that you may never get the opportunity to do so in a regular season when you're quote unquote healthy. Um, so it's a real cool opportunity to develop those things they may not get time to do. Um, and really, you know, it's, it, we still apply a lot of the same principles and strategies that we would with a, a, a healthy athlete. And I say healthy with tongue in cheek because no elite professional athlete is ever 100% healthy. Um, but we're still doing that with a return to performance or return to sport athlete. And what's really cool is, you know, and I would, if there are any younger strength and conditioning coaches listening to this, is you really got to go dig for information. You got to go dig for information from the doctors, from the therapists, from their sport coach, just so you can get kind of a really clear picture uh, that helps you choose the right tool for the job. Uh, because there's a million ways to do strength training. Um, and you just want to make sure that you're you're giving the athlete that you're working with at that time the, the, the most appropriate thing for that individual. Oh, there's some really, really good advice, Mike. Really appreciate that for the parents and athletes out there. You do have to dig a little bit, get that info, and you have to have the right people on the team. Again, that's why we're having this incredible roundtable today with the experts from Advantage Sport Medicine, Physiotherapy, and HealthPoint pain spine and sports medicine centers all right we got to cut up for a quick break when we come back more injury injury prevention and injury management on the crush roundtable right after this you're listening to crush performance with jeff crushell get the crush podcast newsletter and performance links at crushperformance.com now back to the show Welcome back to our special edition of the Crush Roundtable with the experts at HealthPoint, Pain, Spine, and Sport Medicine Centers, and Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy. We are joined today by Tahisha Nadu, Michael Cook, Dr. Doreen Nadu, and TD Forrest. Dr. Nadu, we've been discussing the effectiveness of that interdisciplinary locker room approach to sport medicine and injury management. It's a collaborative effort of experts from different areas coming together to maximize the treatment of the patient. But I think one area that we don't really dive into or discuss enough is the diversity amongst our doctors. There is an incredible array of specialties in which the doctors focus in on. And that's something that is really, really important in this conversation as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I mean, I think when you, uh, you know, when you get into medical school and you try to navigate what you want to be, you realize that there's an endless amount of uh, different subspecialties. In the context of, um, you know, uh, sport-related injuries, I mean, you know, uh, wrist and hand injuries, we collaborate a lot with plastic surgeons. Obviously, um, orthopedic surgeons will um, do things like ACL repairs of the knee and the rotator cuff uh, repairs. And I think, you know, in the context of a sport medicine physician or, or physical medicine and rehab specialist, um, which we, you know, work with mostly out of our, our location here. Um, we collaborate with those physicians all the time. And I think, you know, um, uh, another good example is if people, you know, have a non-musculoskeletal uh, injury such as asthma, you know, we will collaborate with um, a pulmonary specialist. So it, it, it's very important. Um, and I think, you know, as a physician, you have that ability to collaborate with those uh, specialists and 
you know, sometimes, you know, that's very helpful for the patient to hear it, you know, from that uh, primary care sport medicine provider um, to, col- to collaborate with the other medical specialists to deliver that, you know, message that's easy to understand. Um, so, you know, it's very important, uh, you know, to work with the right type of uh, physicians as well, not only the right type of healthcare professional. Dr. Nadu, you are one of the co-founders there at uh, HealthPoint uh, Medical. And um, I'm, you know, when we look at the collaboration that's going on, this must have been a, a dream you had, you and your co-founders had um, to put to bring this together uh, with Advantage Sport Medicine and all the experts under that one roof to, to see that kind of a, a level of expertise in one place is a really special thing. What, what was the driving force that led you guys to make all of this happen? Well, I think what, you know, I found early in my career and in my residency is that, you know, you're um, both uh, selfishly, you're running around to a lot of places to do different things. So I do my procedures um, at one clinic. I'd see maybe my more chronic pain patients at another clinic. I'd see my sport uh, patients at another clinic and I do hospital work. And, and, and I think, you know, when you're running around to different places you're working with different people it's good to get exposed to that but um, it's also you think about the patients who have to do the same thing and I think if uh, trying to get it under um, one roof it's not a new concept I think you know there's there's lots of good institutions like the Mayo Clinic um, uh, that's done that for years in a small place in Minnesota that's become world-renowned and I think you know that those types of um, um, collaborative efforts is what built big hospitals like that. And I think what that's what we wanted to do at the clinic. And, and myself and Dr. Irvine actually came from it from a chronic pain perspective. And, and, and you know, my background in sport medicine, I wanted to take that sport approach to people with chronic injuries or chronic pain. So, I mean, it's a really very similar approach, um, you know, to the acute sport, to the chronic world that, that we've tried to tried to do here. Well, and it's very, very important in today's landscape because sport and recreational sport is so important. And through this COVID madness, uh, we've seen uh, what a real impact it has in just our mental health, leave alone our physical health. Well, guys, as we head into the spring season here, it's a really interesting time. It's one of my favorite times of year for sport, not just because of what's happening in professional sport, but it really does signify a transition. We're going from up way up north. We're going from indoor to outdoor and down south, even though the weather's fairly consistent in the warmer climes, there's still a transition to season in, in seasons. Tahisha, you know, as we get ready for the outdoor seasons um, this spring and as we go from indoor to outdoor, we can train and be prepared as we can, but there's nothing quite like real competition. And when we talk about upper body extremities, your background in professional lacrosse and, you know, your background in, in, in the physiotherapy, uh, being prepared for the throwing motion or te- outdoor tennis or, you know, some of the impact issues we see in, in sports like lacrosse, uh, it's a really important time uh, to get ready for sport, but also be aware of some of the issues, especially when it comes to upper body extremities. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, the one thing I find really unique, especially in working uh, in a 
world like lacrosse, um, like a box lacrosse would be starting right now for, you know, the young ones, but the NLL or the national lacrosse league that I work in, we run kind of over the winter months. One of the really unique things is, is that, um, you know, a lot of these players are multi-sport athletes. So yeah, like you're, you know, you're getting a lot of kids that have been playing hockey all winter and they're transitioning into their summer sports. And, and I mean, you know, just coming out of playoffs and having a very short off season, lots of these guys are, you know, potentially suffering from repetitive use injuries, whether it be their wrist um, or shoulders. I mean, we know in hockey, there's lots of, you know, shoulder, shoulder contact, lots of AC joints. So there are definitely different approaches that we look at. Um, I think one of the biggest things I try to do as a clinician is when somebody comes in, especially if it's not essentially an acute injury, but it's again, they're trying to get ready for their summer sport is doing a scan of not just the area that their that their chief complaint is but everywhere so we know shoulder mechanics for example um, the neck and the upper back of their thoracic spine actually play quite an integral role in how the shoulder moves so we don't just look at it from oh well we need to give you some bands and do some rotator cuff work it's what's your scapular stability what's your neck stability what's your core doing um, you know what's your elbow doing all of those mechanics is, is kind of how I like to approach things. That's a really interesting approach. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't realize. You know, sometimes when we look at something like, let's say, a particular shoulder injury, we do have to look at the hips and even down to the knees and, and, and our contact with the ground. It's incredible how connected the body really is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other unique thing is, you know, I know Mike Cook and I have had these these conversations, um, you know, everybody kind of looks for symmetry, but I, I guarantee you that nobody is truly symmetrical. And I don't know if you want every athlete to be truly symmetrical. I mean, we're, we're dominant, so you might shoot right. Um, so, you know, you're going to have some overdevelopment of certain muscles and, you know, maybe some overstretching of others on the other side. So, you know, when we look at it, it's how can we still allow you to perform at the maximum level? But if we even things out too much, does that change the player you are? Um, but again, it comes down to safety, right? So how can we now support that without overloading those tissues? Oh, such a great concept in sport, that balance and the demands of sport. Talking about, you know, sport specificity or the demands, uh, support specific demands. Uh, and changes in the body even the hockey players if you shoot left you shoot right you can see those asymmetries starting to develop and you know even in our curlers any one-sided sport um, and I like what you said there it, it as much as we try to have this beautiful aligned posture and muscle symmetry one it's probably not realistic but two it might not always be necessary that's a strong point Tisha. yeah yeah it's, it's definitely probably a little bit outside of the traditional box, but, um, you know, working in sport for about 14 years at this point, um, and, and being fortunate enough to work, you know, at the CIS level and the pro level, uh, I think I've learned a lot from working with colleagues such as athletic therapists, lots of sport med docs, and some of our strength and conditioning coaches. So I think that sort of just shaped how, how, um, I approach these athletes and, and not just athletes, but your regular person. I mean, if you sit at a computer all day and you primarily mouse with your right hand, I mean, of course there's going to be asymmetries with even just the non-athlete population as well. Yeah, no question. That's a really strong point as well, Tahisha. You know, I, I spent my summers in university working in the sawmills up north and I've seen those shift workers and that kind of that assembly line stress. Oh my goodness, it is it is as stressful as any sport I can imagine because you're there for eight to 10 hours at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, interesting stuff. Well, talking about the strength and conditioning and planning, Mike, 
um, as we head into spring here, it, it is a very, very important time. And you said something earlier that was that was pretty pertinent, I think, and that's the idea of planning and building strategies for for what's going to be happening in sport. And now is a time for strategy where we're going from uh, way up north. We're going from indoor indoor sports or indoor training to outdoor We're we're seeing a massive change in sports. And this is something that people really do need to plan for. There's this whole concept now that's really big in in the sporting world, and it's been made famous through uh, some of our major sporting networks and, and our major teams. But this whole idea of load management and workloads and workload management, acute and chronic workloads, it's a very, very important concept. And when people hear the, these these words, they sometimes get overwhelmed and think that it's too much. But it's actually quite a simple principle in practice, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And you know, a strength coach like me who's been around for a little bit, just I kind of was laughing a couple of years ago when it was the biggest thing in the NBA ever. <laughs> um, you know, especially when the Raptors were uh, going towards that championship. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because it's these are not new or novel concepts. This is something that has been around for a very long time. Um, what I what I feel, what I personally feel, is that it was a response to. Uh, the situation where you see a coach just kind of either doing what they've always done or, you know, pushing their athletes a little bit too hard uh, to the extreme end and then kind of scrambling to kind of figure out how to deviate and fix that issue. And what the acute to chronic workload ratio provides you is it's just kind of a balance and check uh, is that you're not progressing the athlete in terms of it could be training density, training intensity, training volume. You're not progressing them too fast, too soon. Uh, and, and and like I say, that's that that concept's been around for a very, very long time. Um, but we can get a little bit excited and feel really good on a certain day and push beyond kind of the prescriptive intensity that we were given. And it kind of leads to a domino effect of problems in terms of uh, residual fatigue. So in in you know, going into this year, I, and fortunately, I, I did a little bit of a talk uh, about a year ago uh, on this kind of uh, topic to coaches. And I'm going to say the exact same thing because we're in a similar situation. Uh, we, we're in a very unique place because we've kind of gone through a pandemic uh, where sports have been on, sports have been off. When the sports have been on, the, the exposure to quality uh, repetition and quality duration or quality skill-based work uh, is is kind of been all over the map and every sport has been a, a little bit different in terms of the uh, need to adapt to uh, the restrictions that were in place at that time. So you, you unfortunately, you, you know, if I'm a coach, I'm a sport coach and I'm inheriting 20 young athletes on a team, uh, you could be getting 20 very different scenarios of preparation coming to you as a coach. And the, the, the drum I've been banging on for a year and a half is a, uh, is that we need to do a very, very good job of assessing and doing a good job of intaking the athletes to truly understand what have they been up to in the last three to six months from a physical standpoint uh, so we can plan appropriately to that individual. Because if I gave everybody on this call the exact same uh, resistance training program, uh, five people are going to respond to it very differently. Uh, and there could be one person in the room that, just doesn't even respond to it because it's not an adequate uh, amount of stress to that person's system. So, you know, when we're looking at this, I would really encourage people to, uh, you know, and this could be through a questionnaire, it could be just a 
a general survey of what have you been doing? How many times have you been training a week? Have you been training a week? What equipment did you have access to? Uh, and that starts to build a picture of what they've been able to do um, and kind of where your group is at. And then from there, you know, you could pick a, a couple of um, basic physical fitness tests uh, that align with the sport that uh, in terms of the physical capacities and just the, then get a kind of a baseline measure of where they're at. Um, just throwing people into the deep end is a little bit tricky because some will drown, um, if I'm using an analogy, and some will, will be fine. Uh, but it's the ones who are not fine where you're trying to then come up with some kind of custom approach and you're kind of scrambling a little bit. And that could have been completely avoided with your intake process and your assessment process. Um, and then the final thing I would say on, on the acute chronic workload is that there's this interesting concept is because we're in a unique situation and, you know, athletes are going to need to compete relatively soon after getting back into practice is the idea of uh, this kind of reverse tapering effect. So when we taper, typically what would happen is we would, we would drop the volume off uh, towards that kind of important competition and try to maintain intensity. And there are some practitioners out there that have suggested a reverse taper where we will uh, gradually build up the volume of higher intensity workloads. But we would start right out the gate with a little sprinkle of a high intensity workload because they're going to need to be able to uh, work at higher intensities a lot sooner than a regular year where they may have a nice off season or general preparation uh, phase to build up towards those high intensities. So it's a really difficult situation, one I never want to live again as a strength coach, um, but it, it does uh, require a unique approach. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Mike, and so, so important. I mean, um, you're kind of talking like shocking the system almost, and, and you're so right. After this year-long break uh, with this COVID madness from sport, it's a really unique time, and, and, and some of the interesting things we're watching is you know, if we've used this downtime, this time away from uh, competition constructively, we may see a real huge advancement in terms of technical, tactical skills. But being away from that com competitive environment for so long makes it a very, very um, uh, uh, interesting scenario where, that we're going to have to ease back or strategically get back into get into it. Right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, I can't stress enough. Um, coming up with uh, plan A, B, and C, and possibly D right. for the group you're working with is, is absolutely critical because uh, I've been doing this for 20 years and no plan that I've laid out long-term has gone exactly the way I thought it was going to go. Um, and so having kind of those backup plans or being open to being adaptable is, is really critical. Um, and that's kind of where the monitoring comes in and, you know, tying back to the acute chronic workloads. If, if I'm monitoring how much my athletes are doing on a given day over a given time period, whether that's seven, 10 days, uh, I can understand how that individual is responding to the training stress and I can adapt uh, the, the program moving forward uh, on a weekly basis and sometimes on a daily basis. Um, you, you can't predict if your athlete's going to have a really bad sleep the night before and you're looking for high quality uh, sprint work or high quality could be Olympic weightlifting work uh, in the weight room and they had a awful sleep and their focus and concentration is out the window. So you have to adapt to, 
to to what you not only the assessment and the intake process, but then the the continuous monitoring of how they're doing. And that's something I've done with uh, the younger athletes I've worked with at Advantage is I've had them fill out a very basic daily uh, wellness questionnaire that helps me understand uh, multiple facets of not only, you know, how are they sleeping, their quality, their amount of sleep, uh, how how's their nutrition, how's their hydration, are they waking up with crazy muscle soreness, uh, and, and kind of what is their pattern. Um, and what's been interesting, I can think of one individual is uh, scoring excellent on everything every day, uh, but stress levels through the roof. Mm-hmm. And when I asked, you know, what's going on, school. School is stressful because I'm there for two weeks and then I'm off because someone got, uh, came down with COVID in my class, so we'll have to isolate, now I'm at home. And so just struggling with, to navigate uh, outside of the training and, and outside of the sport that the training for. So, you know, being adaptable is critical. No, that's a great point, Mike. It's an incredibly unique time and it requires a unique approach, right? And that's uh, that goes for almost everything we're experiencing right now through these COVID times. Well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Why don't we cut out for a break, everybody? We're going to continue our roundtable with the experts from HealthPoint, Pain, Spine, and Sport Medicine Centers, and Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush Newsletter, podcast, and performance info at crushperformance.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to a special roundtable edition of Crush Performance. We are visiting with the experts at HealthPoint, Pain, Spine, and Sport Medicine Centers, and Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy, talking about the locker room approach, the collaborative approach to identifying, managing, and helping athletes return to play. We're joined today by Tahisha Nadu, Michael Cook, TD Forrest, and Dr. Duran Nadu. If you have any questions about today's show, please reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is our email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on all other social media platforms. Search out Crush Performance. All right, let's get back to it. TD, as the spring sports startup, you guys are well into your season. And uh, this also poses another interesting conversation in sport. As we start a season, there's one approach. But now as you get deep into the season and potentially into a postseason push, the focus can change a little bit here as well. And, and there's other things you need to look for. What kind of what kind of things are you keeping your eye on as, as we get deep into the NHL season here? Yeah, no, uh, definitely uh, keeping our eye and monitoring. And uh, those are the things that we're sort of looking at. And what we find is as we get near the last bit of our our season and we start getting into our uh, our playoffs, um, we, we, we know that the intensity is continuing to ramp up um, and, and, and the volume. Uh, what we try and do is that um, we try, sort of try and reduce the volume to allow, uh, to allow us to focus more on sort of recovery uh, promoting recovery uh, and, and maybe not so much as it pr- promoting fitness, but uh, maintaining fitness. So l- l- things that we tend to look at a lot right now is, as we're getting into the end of the season is, is like I mentioned, is the recovery stuff. So, um, you know, throughout the year, we talk about, uh, uh, you know, sleep, uh, sleep habits that are, that our athletes um, need to, to look at. Um, you know, we talk about uh, throughout the year, the nutrition, but both of those things uh, take a lot of that, little added importance as as we're trying to maintain our ability to recover and, and get ready for each uh each night that we're we're, we're getting into the end of the season and playoffs uh, other things that we look at it on the recovery side of things are 
our uh, uh, simple simple is is you know proper stretching, foam rolling. Um, you know, we look at, uh, like I said, we had, we have massage therapists and, and we have the ability to use those, uh, type of individuals. We look at massage, we look at hydrotherapy, things that we can do in the cold and, and, and hot pools, uh, to maximize, maximize recovery. Um, and those are the type of things that we, what we find is that, um, as the season is, is getting to the end and the importance is getting ramped up for the playoffs is that, that the intensity increases. We, we try and reduce the volume a little bit. Uh, to try and allow our athletes to to recover and, and try and maintain their fitness. It is such an incredible task surviving the competitive schedules in professional sport. And it is truly a wonder of athlete management here. And it does take the full team, doesn't it, TD? From nutritionists to the doctors to uh, the coaches to the training staff, everybody's included in this big picture management, especially when the stakes are so high, getting closer to the end of the season here. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things that really comes into play is, is uh, the ability of our strength coaches. Uh, they have some monitoring systems uh, that they have on our athletes for, for practices. And that really helps us determine, you know, who, who are, who are at the high end uh, so that we need to ease off and we need to recover those guys more. And then who are at the low end, maybe they're not getting as many minutes. Uh, so we talked with the strength guys and they go ahead and they, they show us, okay, well, you know, this person, you know, they're playing every night. And so, uh, but they're just not playing as many minutes as the, you know, whether it be the top guys that are just the way the game goes. So they're trying to, you know, promote their fitness a little bit. And then there's the guys that are the next up. Um, those are the guys that, that may not be playing the game, but once you get an injury, they're the next ones in and, and, um, you know, it, it's a remarkable, uh, it's not easy to play a game, but it's easy to keep your fitness when you're playing games, but it's sure a lot of work when you're not playing, uh, to have that motivation and, and get the, get the intensity that you need and get the volume that you need so that when you, you, you have your opportunity, when you're the person that jumps in for someone that's been injured, that, that they're really fit. And, and that's something that we, we noticed that our, uh, our strength coach has been just invaluable, uh, about doing that for us is, is letting us know, you know, what things need to, or what athletes need to do more and which ones at, uh, which athletes need to do less. Oh, that's truly an art form. There's no question about that TD. Cause I think we mentioned it earlier in the conversation here that, you know, as much as you train, nothing can replicate just that environment of competitive sport at any level, of course, but certainly when we're talking NHL and professional players. Yeah, absolutely. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, is just, contact like in the practice and in the gym and in the, the training room and and watching video you just can't do contact otherwise you have risk of the chance of, of hurting your athlete but when you're playing games that definitely ramps up that intensity and it causes the, the, you know, them to, to to work on their fitness during the games but it's really tough to do that uh you know in the weight room or 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 even in practice without you know putting your athlete at uh at a little bit of risk. And so, yeah, it is a total art form is, is knowing when, which players to, to push, which ones we have to recover uh, and make sure that, that they're all ready to go when, when they're called upon. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Dr. Nadu, you know, we talk about um, working with professional athletes and the urgency in professional sports, but I've uh, coached my daughter's baseball teams and uh, I've coached their soccer teams and, and I tell you what, for those young athletes, it's as urgent for them as it is for, for anybody. And that's a really important thing, I think, for the doctors and the performance team to understand. And also important to know as a patient or a parent that the performance team understands that for everybody. Do, do, you, do you think that's a fair statement? 
Yeah, yes, I do. I mean, I, I look at that urgency to get back and return to play. I look at it in kind of two two different ways. So the first is, you know, um, a, a return to play process after an injury. So whether you have um, a surgical procedure like an ACL repair or a concussion, there's very good, well-defined um, return to play protocols. I think what I find sometimes is people look at the clock and say, I'm supposed to be back in 12 weeks um, and it's 12 weeks. Um, I'm ready to go. And then they come to your office and, you know, one leg is the size of a, a lead pipe and the other leg has muscle. And I think, you know, that's what we try to talk about with our athletes. It's more a functional return to play. So, you know, there might be, uh, for example, an ACL injury recovery might be nine to 12 months. Um, some people might be back at nine, some take 12 just because they need to, they need to um, have the same type of power output they had before. They need to have um, a lot of things that we check the boxes with, with functional testing with our physical therapists, our athletic therapists during sport and our strength and conditioning coaches. Um, so, I mean, there's always urgency. And I think, you know, um, when you look back at your career, um, and when you push the envelope a little bit and have a, another injury, and then you're out for longer periods of time. And I think as, as, you, as, as you become more seasoned as a practitioner, you have those examples to tell people about. And then the other component of return to play is really at the beginning of the season. You know, that's truly a return to play. It's, it's not a return to play after an injury for most people, but it's after time off. And then, you know, there is multitude of uh, papers uh, from NCAA sport to pro sport showing that in training camp, there's a significant amount of injuries. We think the ideal period of time for most training camps are six weeks. But you know that most sports have training camps in two to four weeks. Uh, and in sports like football, soccer or running the bases in baseball, we see lots of early hamstring injuries. So it's really important also from a return to play perspective in the beginning of the season that you have to work with part of that team and 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 something that Mike uh, talked about from a strength and conditioning perspective. How do you ramp up? Um, how does a healthy person not become that injured person on day one or two of camp? So those are kind of the two, um, two components of return to play uh, the way I see it. Yeah, and I think, Dr. Nadu, you know, just – um, getting advice and um, having an action plan could be really comforting for a lot of people who might just feel the stress that they're not out there doing what they love to do. Just having that action plan and working towards that goal can sometimes be a really, really important part of the process from a mindset standpoint. Well, I think so. I think the way we can help that process and the, and the mindset is to give people small goals, um, small goals uh, that you that you can achieve so you might have some urgency to get back at the end of the injury, um, but you can create yourself small goals and maybe beat those small goals. And it and mentally will not be as, as draining for people if they kind of break down their, their injury. And then if they're not injured, getting into sport, it's that, that, that periodization or that time to peak or the time to be ready for camp that, that Mike talked about or, you know, and, and TD talked about. Um, a little bit of ramping up for playoffs, how you change things you do. So, I mean, those are all different phases and, and checkpoints people can use. Right. And one, one, before we let you go, uh, uh, change topics here, Dr. Nadu, the other thing that you sort of brought to my thought process here 
through that conversation is the fact that not everybody starts in the same place. I think everybody has this idea um, that we have this sort of set regimented plan that we march through if we've sprained a knee or if we hurt our elbow or if we dislocate a shoulder, but that's not always the case. I mean, the experts that come in uh, could vary from case to case and the people that you even have on your team or you're interacting with can change as well. So that's an important thing I think for people to keep in mind. Well, I, I think so. And, you know, when people come to my office and say, well, I had the same injury as, um, you know, a professional athlete. Um, why am I taking so long? Well, you know, you, you break down the, you know, the amount of muscle control the person has, the type of physical condition they're in. And also the fact that, um, you know, a lot of professional athletes have learned a lot from their healthcare practitioners on how to take care of themselves, you know, when they don't have an injury. And I think that's uh, why professional athletes, you know, they're young, number one, but for the most part, um, and uh, they've learned a lot um, what works for them and their body. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, an important thing to to show people those differences as well. Yeah, really, really important. TD, uh, a question for you here as as we sort of, you know, get towards the spring, of course, and end of the season as well. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, when we have athletes who are dealing with an injury and, uh, they are sort of looking at a time frame and they're into their, their rehab. Sometimes it's interesting. We've seen this many times. I think we're better at it now than we were before, but at the end of a rehab session, the athletes probably in better condition, uh, to withstand the stresses of a sport than when they started. Of course, that would be the goal of a rehab program. But I think what one thing we're seeing in sport, correct me if I'm wrong, TD, is I think we're doing a much better job of consciously preparing for sport early on. And with that in mind, the idea of return to play, it starts very, very early in the process, doesn't it? Well, uh, yeah, you could almost say it's, it starts immediately. Um, you know, like if you take a look at uh, if, if an athlete gets uh, hurt, and, um, you know, they they have to stop. They can't compete. We'll start working with them uh, right away on return to return to sports stuff. Now, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, if they're a hockey player, that they're going to be skating. But what that does mean is that it means that, um, you know, they might be doing some core work. Uh, we might identify some deficiencies that they have there. Um, if it's a lower body injury, for example, we might be working on some core work. Eventually, you know, we'll, we'll start doing some upper body work, uh, uh, along lines with the uh, strength coaches um you know and then as soon as we can we'll start getting them to do some type of a cardio whether that's simple walking or working in the pool um or riding a bike or, or whatnot and and what we found really advantageous is allow each professional to um have the the ability to talk about what they would like to do with that athlete. Some days it might be nothing. It might be, no, I'm in a recovery mode with that person. Um, or other days they have, they might be like, yeah, you know what? It's a, te it's a testing day or it's a day that I'd really like to get some work done with that athlete. And um, you know, what we found is that um, as we've done this year, you know, a, a number of years now uh, we, we've started to be able to pick up what the other professionals uh, like the, the, the strength coaches or the, or the, what the docs might want or, or, or what, what our chiropractor might be able to do. Um, and we start picking that up early and we're, so we start suggesting those things or we start saying, Hey, remember when we had this other player, what, when do you want to start doing this? And it, it you know, we really, you know, there were a number of years ago, an athlete might come in and, and maybe, you know, 15 years ago, they might, might be, in there for 45 minutes, half hour, maybe an hour, depending on what they have. Now, now we have the ability of 
we wanted to, we could probably fill six hours of their day of all the different things that we want to get done without, without hurting the injury they have, uh, maintaining what they, they do have, and then trying to uh, you know, get them better. And, um, you know, there, there's always an overlap uh, with all the different professionals that we, that we work with. Um, and um, like I always say, it's, I love that environment because uh, you have a, you have an athlete that you're going through you. They might be at a specific injury at a specific uh, phase and you give your one idea and if you're with three or four or five or six other professionals, they give their one idea as well. So now I've given up one idea and I've just gotten four or five, six of their ideas. So I've given up one thing and I've, I've been given, you know, five or four or five, six other things. And that makes me better. And when you're able to um, have that type of collaboration, it's going to make the athlete better. And um, I think one thing that um, all of us know, but we might not have you know, brought up as much or brought up yet is, is sort of the role of the, what the athlete has uh, the ability for him to be able to, or her to, to be able to tell us what they're feeling, uh, what their goals are, uh, what, what, what they want to try and accomplish and how it affects them um, is very important throughout the process. Like for example, if an athlete gets hurt right away, you know, we're, we're thinking about, Oh, look, it's a knee injury. We got to make sure that this knee gets pain down the swelling down the range of motion and get the strength going. But this athlete's thinking, well, where's my next contract? What am I going to, who am I going to be playing with next year? Uh, you know, I got to tell my parent, I got to tell my agent, I got to uh, inform these other peoples. And, and, and we need to be you know, cognizant of that. And we need to be able to uh, talk to the athlete and get their input and get, you know, what, what, what their goals are and what the, what the things that they're having challenges with. And it could be, you know, it could be stress. It could be family, it could be whatever. Um, and we just can't you know, forget you know, their input. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, all of us here uh, today uh, try and do with, with, with our athletes. Oh, TD, that is such a really important point. I'm glad you brought that up because even for our moms and dads listening or our lead athletes listening, I think we, I think we realize now the importance of the athletes participation in the process. It's such a critical, critical element and maybe something in the past that we, we didn't pay as much heed to as we do now, but it's critically important, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And the, the, the significance of, uh, you know, allowing to reassure them that things are going to be okay, uh, allowing them to, to answer their questions, uh, getting their buy-in. Um, it's like, you know, most things in life, if you're, if, if you have a bit of input, uh, you know, you're, you're invested in, in the process, you're going to do whatever you can to, to get the best result. And, and, uh, you know, even just in general society today, um, you know, uh, there's a lot less telling people what to do as in discussing what the best way to do these things. And I think that, uh, uh, that's something that, you know, is, is paramount with our, with our athletes. And, and then, then when you need to tweak things, you know, no, no one, no one gets upset. It's like, well, it's not going the right direction or it is, it's going so good in the right direction. We have to change this. And, and, and everyone has the buy-in and everyone's like, okay, yeah, great. Now, now what's next? What's the, what's the best thing to do in the situation? And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's vital. Oh, it's so great. And that's one of the powers of the multi-team approach. Uh, Tahisha, hey, a uh, question for you now. You know, we've been talking about uh, testing our athletes and screening and monitoring them. You know, as we do head into spring, as you mentioned, you brought up a really interesting point. I thought that I just want to expand on a little bit more because I'm not sure if our listeners would have caught it. But you mentioned something about, you know, our multi-sport athletes. And again, we all know how important that is 
in terms of development. But also a point you brought up that I don't think a lot of people really, really think about is the carryover from maybe the bumps or bruises from one sport into the new sport you're you're playing. That's something that's really, really important to be cognizant of. Um, and, and I think maybe that's something where the screening and testing can really help out uh, in identifying where your athletes are at as they make that transition and start a new season. Yeah, I mean, again, like especially with our youth, like I think, um, you know, you want them to to play multiple sports and sometimes not just focus on one thing. So, um, yeah, like I, I, I think it is really important to to look at, you know, what are they coming in with and how can we not just help better them with the sport? Like, you know, for example, if I'm working with a lacrosse team, but also how can we complement them so that when, you know, they go back into hockey or soccer or whatever other sport that they are actually are playing, that they're, you know, a better a better self or a better version of their self. Yeah, I really like that. And hey, as we sort of do head into the season here, you've been involved in the clinical setting and in professional lacrosse for a long time. Um, as we get kicking off this new season, is there any concerns you have or things you've seen or trends over the years that you'd like to just sort of th throw a warning shot across the bow to everybody? Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, sometimes there becomes a component of potentially overtraining for one particular sport. So again, um, one of the things that I come across in my practice is those athletes coming in kind of like I mentioned before with those repetitive use uh, injuries and, you know, lots of it, lots of the times, you know, if they're, if they're more of that sort of potentially running type sport or running athlete, there's a lot of, you know, knees that we'll be dealing with where it could be like a patellar tendinopathy, um, you know, hamstring tendinopathy, uh, lots of, you know, people who don't stabilize their hips properly. If it's shoulders, you know, there's lots of scapular stability, wasting, um, you know, lots of poor mechanics when it comes to the thoracic spine. So those are sort of the, the trends that I see coming in. Uh, so again, we just try to do our best to work on all of those things to make the athlete, you know, a stronger version of themselves. Yeah. So important as we make the transition, Hey, Mike, last question for you here as we uh, wrap up our incredible roundtable with the experts from HealthPoint, Pain, Spine and Sports Medicine and Advantage Sports Medicine. Um, Mike, as we sort of head into this season again, you've been involved in football. It's an incredibly challenging sport. And, you know, if things were going well right now, the CFL would be underway. Uh, we have, of course, the NFL draft, uh, some very exciting times in the NFL but this also, again, getting back to our original conversation about spring sport, it's a transition and a time of change. Um, any concerns that you have in general? You know, one, one of the things that you and I sort of talked about briefly was, you know, this this annual layoff that we've had, this unprecedented layoff of, from sport that COVID has presented us with. Uh, there's opportunities here, but there's also grave, grave concerns. We're going to have to take our time to get back to sport the right way. Do you, do you think that's a good message to send? Yeah, I would say... My, my biggest concern across any sport is that we're going to try to do the thing we did two years ago with our athletes. And what they may find is that their athletes are not quite in enough physical peak shape. And the coach is going to have this kind of really strange uh, paradox because uh, they may only have set amount of time to get in shape. Uh, and so they might ramp up practice or ramp up the volume way too fast. And that's just going to lead to some potential uh, disasters. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, it's, I think I, my message would be is to completely rethink maybe what you've done in the last five to 10 years, uh, because it, it, the athletes are coming in in a completely different um, scenario. And, and some of them could have been training uh, this whole time during the pandemic and 
you know, got some quality work in, and and that would be a really nice surprise. But there are going to be some kids who have not had that opportunity uh, for whatever reason, you know, not not the lack of trying. So I think we need to just really uh, understand that you're going to see some things you may not have seen yet in your in your career. Um, and, and I remember a, a number of years ago working uh, with the Edmonton Football Club. Uh, we we had a year where you know guys were dropping like flies with hamstring injuries, and um, I, I think uh, it was it was around about thirty percent of the the squad at a training camp uh, all had some kind of a hamstring strain, um, and I think that was my second year with the team, and you know. Everyone looked at me, uh, Dr. Naidu looked at me, <laughs> TD looked at me and said, you know, what's going on? And, and I, I remember my, my response was, well, look at the intake we're doing in terms of the fitness testing that these guys have to do. That was laid out by the professional, uh, the Plays Association. There were kind of some really tight restrictions on what you could and could not do. I said, you know, I just don't know if we are uh, able to assess the athletes in a way, in a, in a high, high enough intensity to know if there are any red flags or do we know if there are any kind of underlying things from a biomechanics standpoint where we could have red flagged a lot of these guys uh, before they got out on the practice field. Um, and, and I would say that that was a bit of a, uh, and I'll use a TSN turning point, oh gosh, uh, TSN turning point for us to really look nice. at, you know, what are we giving the athletes in the off-season? Uh, how can we make them more accountable to uh, hitting certain levels in terms of physical capacities? Uh, and, and, and it was interesting, the, the following year when they came back for training camp, uh, we had, I think, out of 100 and some guys, one guy had a hamstring, a slight hamstring strain, and then the team went 5-0 and right out the gate uh, in, in regular season. And the guys were in phenomenal shape. But So it, was, it just came, it was a good moment where we had to reflect on the intake and the assessment and just really set some strong targets for, for the individual athletes coming back to uh, training camp. Um, and I remember the conversation with the coach at the time is like, you know, we're in really good shape. We can actually probably push these guys a little bit harder than we, we thought we might out the, out the get go. And, and we were able to do that, but I can see scenarios happening where athletes have had long layoffs and we might not be able to do that uh, at, at this point in time. So, you know, going to it with a lot of caution, uh, going to it with a, a few different plans, do a really good job of your intake and assessment, but also monitoring the athletes and how they're adapting to uh, the training stresses you're giving them from week to week. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff, Mike. Hey, TD, one last question for you here as we wrap it up. Um, you know, of course, you guys are heading into the latter part of your season. Uh, Mike just talked about a really, really important concept about, you know, the new season, new players coming in. Um, end of season management. You know, I think a lot of times kids or athletes, especially our weekend warriors and our recreational athletes out there, um, at the end of the season, they'll say they'll sort of shake the dust off and walk away from it all. But there's still work to be done at the end of the season, even if you have a break. So uh, when we talk about end of season injury management, TD, what does that mean to you guys? Well, for us, uh, that basically means uh, trying to repair all the damage that's been done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, 
often it's not just one thing uh, on a on a player it's often uh, multiple things but uh, i think the biggest thing that you know we need to do is uh now that the season's done, now that we know we can take advantage of time to, to do their uh, uh, injury rehab, um, you know, the number one thing for us is, you know, getting a clear-cut diagnosis from the physicians, uh, making sure we know what is going on with that athlete, um, and then being able to, you know, give the athlete an idea of um, how long this is going to take. And, and sometimes things can take a long time, and sometimes they can relatively short and, and one of the big decisions that we try to talk to our athletes is once we know what, what the, the the diagnosis is and how long it's going to take is it's just get them to a point where we're comfortable and they're comfortable knowing that they're, they're going in the right direction and so for some injuries if they're, they're relatively mild that might be a week and for other injuries if there happens to be uh, something more significant or if there's a surgery that was involved that might be uh, a number of weeks six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, um, depending on, on what it is. And we want to make sure that we, we get them to where we're comfortable, that no matter where they go, um, with our help, they'll find a professional in their city, in their town, wherever they live, that can kind of carry on the process. And, um, you know, there's a variety of things. That it includes everything from uh, the imaging. I'm sure Dr. Naidu could talk about that, um, to um working with the strength coaches to know what they can and can't do uh, based on their injury, uh, working with our athletic therapists, our physical therapists, massage therapists, and chiropractor to say, hey, we, we need to get this person to this point before everyone's comfortable uh, let, letting them go on their way, uh, building those plans uh, like we had throughout the season, uh, and um, knowing that now it's also a recovery time for these, for these athletes, and, and they do need to get it recovery both physically and mentally and um you know making plans and 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 you know seeing when they're going to be able to be we're hoping fully able to do their their job whether that be during the off season or sometimes it progresses a bit into the next season and then we got to make that communication with all the coaches and the management uh to, to make sure they know you know where each athlete stands and uh so that they can do their planning for the, for the next year's team and, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different things that you know, we need to look at. Um, but the number one thing is just getting the athlete to, uh, healthy and then allow them to start training. Yeah. Getting healthy is so important TD. You know, one of the things that's really happened and you and I have talked about this extensively in the past, especially in developmental and youth sport, the idea of year round sport, and we've seen it in hockey, maybe as much or more than any other any other sport with the onset of spring hockey, winter hockey, fall hockey, and multiple travel leagues. Um, I, I'm not sure if uh, parents realize this, but our pro guys are taking time away from the game at the end of the season to recover, recoup, and that's really even maybe more important for our youth athletes. So, you know, year-round hockey for some of our, uh, our youth programs out there, it's something I think we should really question a little bit more. And, you know, we often say, look to the pros to figure out what to do. And I think everybody would appreciate, you know, the idea that, hey, these guys take some time away as soon as, soon as, soon as they can during the off season. Right. No, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, it's, it's invaluable. Um, having the ability to, to have a different focus, to, to, to work on things that, could potentially be your uh, your your deficiencies or your challenges or your injuries in a way that isn't directly related to hockey uh, allows them to uh, you know maximize their ability to to come back. It, it allows them to to mentally not have to 
think about you know doing their job and playing their sport all the time. And uh, a lot of times guys find they'll come back and they'll say, you know what, I did a, I did a, a fair bit of yoga, for example. And you know what? Uh, I, I really have noticed that, um, you know, whatever body part they may have had, uh, whether it be, you know, their hip flexors or, 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 or their hamstrings or whatnot, they're saying, you know what, I've really noticed that I'm able to, to uh, have the flexibility that I want, that I, that I didn't have. And that goes for a variety of different activities. Uh, something it might be simply as hand-eye coordination. Um, you know, they take up, you know, some type of uh, a ball sport uh, just for fun, whether that's with their kids or with their, their, their girlfriend or their wife uh, or whatnot. And they've noticed that they've, they've had some improvement there. So, yeah, I mean, there's no question that uh, multiple sport uh, is is important, especially in the youth. It's vital. Uh, it allows them to to have a mental break. It allows them to be passionate for for the sport that they that they uh, are, that they do well in when they come back to it. And it helps build the uh, build the different uh, you know physical uh, abilities that they need that, that that are a little bit tougher that they might not be able to do on a day to day basis in the sport that they're playing. Uh, great stuff, TD. Listen, thanks so much today for your time. That's such such great advice. Hey, good luck in the run here. Uh, Tahisha, one last question for you as well as we wrap up. You know, we just talked with TD about the importance of, you know, taking that time away from sport and using that that offseason constructively and smart. You know, again, in that critic in that clinical setting you're in, is do you have any uh, final words for our for our audience out there, the parents, athletes, coaches, and and administrators who are listening? Because uh, this has been such an incredible roundtable today. And and I think, you know, if we could sort of wrap it all up and put it into this this idea of this, boy, this um, collaborative, interdisciplinary approach, so, so important. I want to thank you for your time today. But uh, any last words for our listeners out there as we wrap up? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. We actually talk about this quite a bit. Um, I always say, you know, during season, we try to basically do our best to keep our athletes competing. Um, and I think an athlete's goal can be slightly different than maybe, you know, what my goal potentially would be, um, where athletes in, in a lot of cases, especially at the pro level, it's am I safe to play versus will I have any pain when I play? So, you know, when we look at it in the in the sport world, you know, during season, we're looking at it for pain management. Are you still safe to play do you have the appropriate range and strength you know ligament stability all of those things in the off season um you know we look at it to how can we truly rehab you so how can we deal with this injury so that it's not bothering you next season? Um, of course, in the National Lacrosse League, and of course, I work with the Saskatchewan Rush, it's, it's kind of an interesting league because most of the players in that league will play some form of pro lacrosse in the summer. So, you know, whether it's playing in the WLA or whether it's playing, you know, in the PLL or the, you know, the former MLL. Um, so a lot of those players, like in the in the pro world that I work in, um, you know, they don't really have an off season. But I think for our young athletes it's actually quite important for us to be rehabbing these athletes in their off season because that's where we're really going to make the biggest gains i really like that and and i that goes back to tahisha to that sort of annual plan that big picture that we have right and you know mike mentioned something really really important that acute versus chronic planning uh workload and stress but it comes into that annual plan uh and knowing how to sort of operate through that ebb and flow it's really hard for athletes sometimes to understand that. And then again, that's why experts uh, like, like you guys are so important. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate that, Tahisha. And thanks for your time today. Hey, Mike, the final shot across the bow here uh, in our roundtable. 
with HealthPoint and Advantage Sport Medicine. Um, as as we look back sort of on your career and the ebb and flow of the annual planning, as you mentioned, is there any advice you'd have for our athletes, parents, coaches, and administrators who are listening here as we head into this new spring season? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's I, I've seen things where people say, what's the point in planning? I'm only doing this for six weeks. Uh, it's so short that I probably shouldn't need a plan. And I would say, you know, from, from the peer-reviewed literature, we know that a plan is definitely superior to no plan. Um, whether that's for two weeks, whether that's for three weeks, whether that's for six months to a year, um, but you should ultimately plan. Now, the depth of that plan and um, kind of the, the the size of that plan is going to be uh, completely different from coach to coach, from practitioner to practitioner, from athlete to athlete. Um, but you must... I mean, most competitive athletes, they want they want to see uh, what's the measurable, what's my goal at the end of this? Am I tracking towards that goal? Uh, did I achieve it or not? Why didn't I achieve it? So, you know, you're dealing with a, a group of people who are competitive in nature, whether that be a quantitative goal or a qualitative goal, they're, they're going to want to see progress. And ultimately, if you, if you have that plan and it doesn't go to the plan, it doesn't work out or it does work out, then you have some frame of reference to know if it worked or not. Oh, this is such a great approach. I love the interdisciplinary approach to sport medicine and helping athletes, you know, return maybe better than ever. It's such, such a great model. And I'm so glad that you guys are making it available to everybody out there. There is so much more to cover here, but we are out of time. I have to thank everybody from HealthPoint Pain, Spine, and Sport Medicine Centers and Advantage Sport Medicine Physiotherapy, Tahisha, Michael, Dr. Nadu, and TD Forrest for joining us today. Such great, great information. Again, you can get our full conversation at crushperformance.com. Thank you all for your great insights. And again, that locker room collaboration here on the Crush Roundtable today. Coming up next week, we are kicking off a three-part series looking at one of our main themes for 2020, the Crush Brain Game. We'll be looking at the subconscious, the mental game of sport performance, and we'll start discussing how exactly do we perceive our environments. I can't wait for this to kick off. That's coming up next week. Until then, everybody, get out there. Go have some fun. Stay safe. But most importantly, go get better. We'll talk to you next week on Crush Performance. This is a Rock Stops Here with Rock Riley Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Sit back and enjoy. If you're not entertained by this and you go, you might as well go somewhere else. Here he is, Brad Culpepper. You know, Tom would be out back and we'd be grilling or whatever. And he was very friendly. You know, I'm not the type to, you know, to gaga anything. So I I think the first couple of times we would talk. Monica would be up on the deck or I would be down grilling or whatever. And, and she's cause you know, you, you're kind of ignoring him. And I said, I, you know, he probably's walking in, you know, back in the house saying, yeah, I don't think my neighbor knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously I did, but, but you know what he did this season is unbelievable. It really, I mean, obviously his career has been unbelievable. Who wins that many Super Bowls? but, but to take a team that really no one had projected to, you know, just to make the playoffs was going to be uh, a better situation than had been for a long time here. But to get all the way in and to win the Super Bowl, and it, you know, we had, obviously the defense played great, the coaching was good, and all the skill positions, but make no mistake, I mean, it started, the head of the snake is Tom Brady. 
even his approach to the game and his attitude and the belief that he instilled in everybody else of, hey, we're not only going to, we can get there and win it. You know, I mean, it's hard to get there, but it's hard to win it too. And, and, if he doesn't have a statue, I mean, his number will be retired even, no matter how long he plays here, even if it's just one more year and they don't do good next year. I mean, for him to come in and win the Super Bowl was, was amazing. And all the credit, you can't give him all the credit, but I, I give him 90% of the credit. The Rock stops here with longtime radio and TV personality. Rock Riley is found anywhere you find podcasts and radioinfluence.com.